I'm just kidding with you. No, I'm Josh. It's an honor to be here with you today. Your pastor has been such a blessing to my life. He, he's kind of like a father figure in the Lord. And uh, his age makes him a father to me. But no, really, he, he's kind of like a father figure, a crazy dad. But um, he, he has been a blessing to me. I learn so much every time I get around him. And I've only been in the ministry now about eight years. And so I just love getting around him, learning. I've been learning from y'all all week, just walking around here like a kid in a candy store, looking at everything and trying to learn all I can. So it's just been an honor to be with you. Thank you for letting me be here today and speak. Pastor Farrell, you are a blessing to the kingdom of God. And your sense of humor and the way you're doing church. And uh, the kingdom needs people like you, brother. And uh, that's all I see that you've wrote for me to say. Is there anything else that I miss anything? But uh, it's an honor to be here with you today. If you have your Bible, turn me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I had, a, I had a dream last night. Any of you ever had a weird dream before? Anybody ever went to school just in your underwear? Anybody have a dream like that? Couldn't find your shoes, stuff like that? I had a weird dream last night, and, and Jared, the worship leader, was in it, and Pastor Farrell and me. And... Um, he said, whoa, as soon as I said who it was in it, he said, uh-oh, that's a bad dream. And it was. It was a weird dream. I dreamed that we all went to heaven together, and we saw St. Peter, and we knew exactly who he was. And, and we went up to St. Peter, and, and uh, we said, because there was ducks everywhere. Everywhere you looked, there was ducks. And we asked Peter, what's with all the ducks? And Peter said, there's only one rule in heaven. Don't step on a duck. If you do, there will be consequences. Well, you know Jared. What do you think he did within the next hour? He stepped on a duck. Peter comes over here with an ugly woman and changed the ugly woman to Jared and said, for all of eternity. Well, I'm doing the best I can, but about two hours. And chained this woman to So here's me and Jared walking around with two ugly women chained for all of eternity. And all of a sudden, here comes Pastor Farrell, and he's changed the most beautiful, gorgeous woman you've ever seen in your life. And we couldn't help it. We ran over to him, and we said, Pastor Farrell, we said... What did you do to get chained to her? And he said, I didn't do nothing. But she said she stepped on a duck. So, it wasn't really a dream. I guess you picked up on that now, huh? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Pray with me if you would. Father, would you help me preach today? I humble myself before you, Lord. I'm not a great speaker, but Lord, I thank you for anointing me today, and it will make me a great speaker. And your anointing will help me to speak words that will penetrate hearts. And Father, I thank you today that our minds are without distraction, that we'll give our undivided attention to the preaching of your word. We won't wonder about where we're going to eat or let our minds wonder about things we've got to do later, but we'll focus, God, the next 30 minutes on hearing your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And he said, you shall be witnesses to me. If you had five minutes left on this earth, what would you say? Being in the ministry now for about eight years, I've, I've been by a lot of deathbeds. I've pastored in three campuses, and uh, we have about 60 churches that are part of our network that we founded. and We just have a lot going on. And so, and so I've been to a lot of people, and, I, and I've sat beside a lot of people as they were facing eternity. And what if you were facing eternity? What would you say? I found out that generally everybody says the same thing. 
They don't talk about football. They don't talk about their favorite ice cream. They don't talk about their favorite restaurant. They don't talk about the news. I'll tell you what they talk about. They talk about whatever's dearest to their heart. And I'll tell you who they talk to. They talk to whoever's dearest to them. When you've only got five minutes left on this earth, friend, you're going to say whatever's most important to you. You're going to say something that you want those that you love to remember from now on. My mother, before she passed away, her last five minutes, she shared a piece of information with me about how her and her, my dad saved money their whole life and they got caught up in greed. And She said, we always planned on living one day when. And she said, we got out of debt and then we wanted to save this much and we saved that. And she said, here I am, 48, fixing to go out of this earth and meet the Lord and I've never enjoyed my life. She said, son, you enjoy your life. And I do, I've taken her advice. I enjoy life. Life is good. What would you say if you had five minutes left? Have you ever thought about this verse in this, in this light, that Jesus had five minutes left on this earth? That Jesus in his physical body was fixing to ascend to heaven. He had resurrected. He had been on the earth 40 days, seen by over 500 witnesses. And here he is, and he's fixing to go to heaven. He's fixing to leave this earth. The angels are coming. He's going to ascend on the clouds. In the last five minutes, what did he say? He said what was dearest to his heart. Who did he say it to? To those that are dearest to him, his disciples. And not just them, but to me and you as well. He recorded it down here so that you and I would never forget. And here's what he said. Be a witness unto me. He didn't say do witnessing for me. And I, and I think sometimes that's where the church has missed it. I know that's where I missed it in my life at times that I thought that I was supposed to do witnessing. And, and I used to go out when I first got saved, and, and the first Saturday of every month, we went out and we knocked on doors. Or, or the third Tuesday of every month, you know, we would get together and go visit people and witness to Christ to them. And so I was doing witnessing, but one day I got a revelation of this verse that Jesus did not tell me to do witnessing. He told me to become a witness. That word be in the Greek means to become. Let me tell you the difference. A while back, friends of ours, we were selling our house and they bought us a house and said, when you sell yours, just pay us back. And this house was trashed. It, uh, it was a repo. It had been repoed by the bank. Um, they had dogs and cats that live inside and they had peed all in the carpet. Can I say peed in church? They peed everywhere. Scratched the door. There was holes in the drywall. This house was rough. It had potential. And so when we, when we were going to move into it, we saw how rough it is. The couple came and said, hey, listen, we'll give you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, whatever you need to remodel it. When you sell your house, just pay us back. They're real wealthy people and good friends. And so we said, no, no, we can't do that. And they said, no, go ahead. I said, okay, I'll do it. Thank you, brother. So we went in there, and as we were remodeling, we got to the painting. And I told Jessica, we got a painter to bid, and he was going to charge me like $800 to paint the living room and kitchen and some other rooms. I said, $800? For $800, I'd do it myself. And Jessica said, no, let a professional do it. I said, honey, I can paint just as good as he can. What about the first day after my arm felt like it was going to fall off? Because I'm having to paint the ceiling. And, and I had no idea what it was to really be a painter. And I tried my best to paint around cabinets and everything else, and I gave up, and we called a painter. And here's what I learned. Just because I paint every once in a while doesn't make me a painter. Okay. Just because you know how to change the oil in your car doesn't make you a mechanic. Just because you know how to, how to run a skill saw doesn't make you a carpenter. Because there's a difference between doing something every now and again than having it as a lifestyle, it being your livelihood. Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday, and I skipped Wednesday, but that day too. 
of every day doing that. And so it's a part of your lifestyle. It's your livelihood. It's what you do day in and do day out. That's why there's a difference between someone who paints and someone who is a painter. Someone who can change oil and someone who's a mechanic. Someone who can run a skill saw, but yet someone who's a carpenter and can build a house. Jesus didn't tell you to do witnessing. Jesus told you to become a witness unto me. And he told you to start. He told you where to start. Jerusalem is where they lived. It was where they're at. So start with your family. Start right where you live. And then move from Jerusalem out to the next step. Move to Judea. Start with your neighbors and those you're in relationship with. Start with your co-workers. And then Samaria, those that are different than you, those you may not even know, start by joining up to go feed the hungry or the poor two counties over. Or, or get involved in an outreach when you're going a county over to, to pass out or doing something in the city. Get involved there. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, missions. But he said, I don't want you to do witnessing. I want you to become a witness. Listen, under the law, we spent time doing. 613 things we had to do. But in the New Testament, it's not about doing, it's about becoming. And then what I do, my behavior is a result of my nature. What I do is because of what I've become. Does that make sense? And Jesus said, become a witness to me. In 1964, there was a, in Queens, New York, there was a 28-year-old girl by the name of Kitty. And most of you are going, I've never heard of her. But if you lived in 1964 anywhere in New York, or some of you that were alive in 1964, you may have remembered this on the news if you were old enough back then. And, and this girl named Kitty, her real name was Catherine. She was a nurse. And she was coming home from work. She grew up in Brooklyn, had moved over to Queens, got her own apartment. And she was coming home from work, and it was about 3 a.m. in the morning. And as she was approaching her apartment building, a man ran out of the dark, and he stabbed her. When he stabbed this young girl named Kitty... Lights come on in the apartment buildings all around, windows opened up, and when the man saw that everybody was looking, he took off running, jumped in his car, a white car, and he left. Kitty picked herself back up. She was crying. She was distraught, and she began to walk back in the apartment building, and the car pulled up, and he jumped out and came and attacked her for a second time. And he stabbed her this time multiple times, and she was screaming for help. And all the lights came back on. The window was opened again, and the man got spooked, and he left again, jumped in his car and left. This time, Kitty was hurt so bad that she had to drag herself. And for some reason, she didn't go in the front door. She drug herself around the back and went in the back entrance. She went in and collapsed on the floor. The white car pulled back up. The man got out of the car. The man went around back, followed the blood trail, went in. He raped her. After he raped her, he took her 20-something dollars out of her billfold. And then he sent a last blow that took her life. When the cops got there, they found out that this attack lasted for 32 minutes. And there was 38 witnesses. But yet not one person ever called the police. Not one person ever dialed 911. It was the talk all of New York that summer. If you lived in New York, Kitty's name was known throughout all the five boroughs. Matter of fact, it was on the news. And some of you probably saw it back then on the news. Made national headlines. And the point was this. That all these people had witnessed a murder. All these people had witnessed a young girl being attacked by an enemy. And they sat around and did nothing. And when they interviewed the people, the police couldn't figure out why. And they interviewed the people, and they interviewed one guy, and he said, I started to pick up the phone. Actually, I did pick up the phone. And he said, my wife yelled out, Hobart, put that phone down. Ten people have already called. And he said, I put the phone down because I thought somebody else had already did it. One lady said, I didn't want to get involved in other people's affairs. It was none of my business. Another man said, I was tired. 
Don't you know I work all day and I've been working overtime and I was tired and I was on my recliner and I was relaxed. Sure, I heard the scream and I saw the car squeal out. But I wasn't getting up. I worked for a living and I was tired. And I deserved to be able to rest in peace. Everyone had an excuse and she died. I was with a guy one time in a little fishing boat. He goes to church with me. And he was telling me, he was saying, Josh, I remember you in school. And he started talking about what kind of Christian he was and talking about how he lived for the Lord. And he was bragging a little bit. I don't think he meant to, but he was just kind of, you know, bragging on himself. And I really served God in school. And I looked at him and I said, man, didn't you, weren't you about three lockers down from me? And he said, yeah. And I said, didn't we have algebra class together? He said, yeah. I said, man, we used to go to the gym together. We, we had casual conversations. He said, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I remember you. And I said, and you're saying you were a Christian, and you never one time shared Jesus with me. And I wasn't mad, but I got all emotional. All these thoughts of my childhood and, and what I went through started running through my mind. I started thinking about how my dad used to beat me and my brother. We'd been whipped with bull whips and, and boat paddles. I've had a bro boat paddle broken over me in two-by-fours. One time with a piece of wire he found in the shed, it broke my finger. I remember my brother laying over and crying and begging for my dad not to hit him again. We were taken out in the woods so my mom couldn't hear us. And when we went to the woods, it was always real bad. I remember before my dad would go anywhere that my dad would take us in the basement and whip us for what we were going to do. And then when we got home, we got a whipping again. It hadn't even did anything. And the physical abuse wasn't near as bad as the emotional abuse. My dad my whole life told me how stupid I was. And my dad used to make the comment all the time that I was a financial burden. He wished I was never born. If it wasn't for my mother, he'd get rid of me. And then came my high school years when this guy was bragging about his Christianity. And he's a good guy. He still attends our church today. We're close friends. He didn't know. But he was bragging about his Christianity. And in my high school years, my mom came down with cancer ovarian cancer doctors told her that she was going to die and I came home to see my mom when I'd heard the news she's all I ever really had in life I loved my mom I was a mama's boy and I came home to see her and I was walking in and my dad caught me at the door and he said where do you think you're going I said I'm going in to see mom he said no you're the reason she's got cancer if your mom dies it'll be on your head he said what you need to do is go get your stuff and get in the car I'm taking you to your uncle's it was two hours away he took me to my uncle's and dropped me off and he said, now, I don't want you coming home this whole summer. I'll let you come home when you go back to school, but this summer your mom can't handle you. And so I lived down there with my uncle who was a bricklayer, and I started laboring brick during the day. I was just 16 years old. And I did crystal meth for the first time because my uncle also was a meth dealer. He was a cook. We cook crank. So I did crystal meth, and I started drinking every day and smoking a lot of marijuana and just anything I could do to relieve myself of pain, and I didn't have to think about what was going on. I was suicidal. I used to take a pistol and put it in my mouth and pull the hammer back. And every time I'd almost pull the trigger, a voice would speak to me, whom I now know is God, and he'd tell me, don't do it. So I'm looking at this guy, and he's telling me he was a Christian. And I'm looking at him, and I'm going, man, you knew about Jesus, and you never told me? Do you know at 16, I'd never heard the gospel one time in my life. I'd only been to church a few times, and the times I went, they never gave a gospel presentation. I heard a sermon on don't judge. I heard a sermon on trying to be good. I heard a sermon on forgiving others. But I never heard Christ died on a cross. I didn't go to a church like this. We went to a different kind of church every once in a while. Well, a few times. 
But I never heard the gospel. And so when this guy's telling me that I got emotional and I wanted to grab him, not out of anger, I wanted to grab him out of emotional frustration. And I wanted to say, brother, I never knew about Jesus. He was all I was ever looking for. When I found Jesus, I found the heavenly father that loved me and accepted me. Jesus came into my heart and he changed everything. He gave me confidence. He lowered my, he, he upped my lowered self-esteem. He raised my self-esteem. He made me not only believe in myself, but I knew he believed in me. He was for me and not against me. And I'd never had that before. So I wanted to shake this guy. And see, what, what I want you to realize today is this guy, like a lot of other Christians, and, a, and like me since I've been saved, I've been guilty of it, is that I've been like those people that watch Kitty get murdered. And I don't know, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but if you're anything like me, maybe you have been too. I've been like those people. There are people out there and the enemy is attacking our youth with drugs and alcohol. And the enemy is attacking our children with peer pressure and popularity. And, and the enemy is attacking our women today and he's attacking our men with lust and sexual enticement. And the enemy is on the prowl and the, he's a thief and he cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's attacking people. And the church is like those witnesses in Queens. The question of the summer of 64 was this. What were those people thinking? What were those people thinking? And what kind of excuse was that? I was tired. What kind of excuse was that? I shouldn't get involved in other people's affair. This lady was being murdered. She was being attacked. Somebody should have ran out there with a baseball bat. I don't know if it had been in North Carolina. We should have run out there with our shotgun. Amen? 12 gauge. Get off her. Get yourself out of here. That's what we'd have done. I'm from Tennessee. It's the same way. Y'all hold on. I'm coming. <laughs> Shooting up down the way. Should have done something. But everybody just watched. Everybody had an excuse. Do you know sometimes as a church we do the same thing? And that's the revelation I got that day. And me and, me and Josh made a decision that day. I said, brother, I'm not going to let another Josh Hanna go by. That's me. I'm going to make sure that if anybody's around me, if they have a relationship with me, if they ever get in my presence, I'm going to do my very best to make sure they get a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may be saying, well, Josh, I'm not a preacher. God didn't call you to be a preacher. He called you to be a witness. Not everyone's called to be a prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, apostle. I understand not everybody's called to that, but everybody in this room, if you've been born again, if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you and me, we've been called to be witnesses unto Him. And a witness is a judicial, it's a legal term, and here's all it means. Here's all the Greek word means. One who gives testimony to what they have seen, heard, and experienced. That's it. A witness doesn't have to know all the answers. They don't have to be a theologian or a scholar. They don't have to have the keys to the universe. They, they don't even have to be able to answer all the questions asked. A witness doesn't have to be all that. All a witness has to do is testify to the truth, the story of what they've seen, heard, and experienced. Everybody in this room may not be a preacher, but you have a story, and God's called you to be a witness. And every day you wake up, you take the stand. That's what witnesses do. Witnesses walk into a courtroom, and they raise their hand, and they pledge to tell the truth, and then they take a stand. And on the stand, they give testimony to what they've seen, heard, and experienced. And that's what God's called us to be. In your home, you're on a witness stand. In your schools, you're on a witness stand. At your job, you're on a witness stand. In your neighborhood, you're on a witness stand. And it doesn't matter whether you or I want to be there or not. We're there. When we got saved, we got put on a stand. And all we've got to do now is make a decision. Will I plead the fifth? 
Or will I give testimony to what I've seen, heard, and experienced? Will I be like those people in Queens that watch Kitty get murdered and say, I was tired. I had a job. I didn't want to get involved in other people's business. If you had a cure and someone had a disease, would you give it to them? See, I want to talk to you about this witnessing for a minute. There, there's four styles or four ways in which we could witness. Let's talk about some of them. The first one is witnessing through confrontation. Witnessing through confrontation. Matthew eleven twelve says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, violence, but the violent take it by force. Now, what does that mean? Jesus said the violent take it by force. What does that mean, Josh? Because... Jesus taught us to turn our other cheek and give good for evil and bless for cursing. So what does it mean, the violent take it by force? He's talking about a kingdom aggression. He's talking about godly confrontation. He's talking about confronting people in love. See, if I, if I came to you today and I confronted you with you're the winner of a million dollars, would you be mad at me? Would you be mad at me? I, could, I knocked on your door. I'm Ed McMahon, okay? I'm better looking, but I'm Ed McMahon. I knocked on your door and confronted you that you're the winner of a million dollars. Would you be mad? Absolutely not. Why? I just confronted you with good news. Do you know the word gospel means good news? That's all that word means. When I'm confronted, don't be fanatic. You don't have to be a religious nut or a flake or a weirdo. I was that way when I first got saved. Did anybody here ever get radically saved? Raise your hand. Nobody. Is anybody here saved? Oh, okay. I'm going to change messages. I'm going to change gears right here. Yeah, I got radically saved. I got radically saved. I did crazy things. And I'm not talking about being confrontational in that way. See, let me tell you my background. I come from a family that was crazy. I'm talking about redneck, prison. I got cousins in prison. I, my wife wanted to go to a family reunion. We'd been dating and now we were engaged. I said, no. And she'd found me. I said, we're not going. She said, are you embarrassed to let me meet your family? I said, no, I'm embarrassed for you to meet them. And she said, no, I want to go to family. I said, okay. So we drove down about two hours and got there. And see, in my family, none of the men wear shirts. Anybody else got a family like that? And they, they don't wear a shirt, but they need a bra. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I call it man boobs. Can I say that in church? They, they, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man breast. They need a bra, and they look like they're pregnant. So I got a bunch of men with no shirt, looking like they're pregnant, needing to wear a bra, walking around, cussing and drinking, whiskey and beer and playing poker, and fights normally break out. And that's a true story. You can't go to a family reunion and there not be a fight. I mean, and it's been father against son. We've had, I, I had my granddad and my uncle one time take it out in the yard, okay? And my granddad was coming out on top, all right? I think, I think it was because he had the bigger man breast. I don't know. But he was coming out on top. That's my family. And so I, I get there, and when we're leaving, Jessica looked over at me, and, and I had a, like a 70-something-year-old uncle who had a shingles. And so he, he's battling shingles. He's over scratching and itching, got no shirt on. And he looks over at my wife. He said, hey, baby, come over and sit in my lap. And my wife goes, my wife, see, she come from a good family, never smoked, drank, didn't cut. My wife was moral. And uh, she looked over, and she just shook her head, uh-uh. And he said, Hey, baby, I said, come over here. I said, Junior, leave her alone. She's my fiance. He said, we'll take it out in the yard if you want to. I said, oh, man, if I wasn't a Christian. That's my family. So here's what I did when I got saved. I was crazy. I, I had, you ever read the scripture that says he had zeal but not according to knowledge? 
Anybody ever had zeal but not according to knowledge? I was on fire for God, but I was dumb as a box of rocks in the Lord. Okay? Be honest with you, I'd never even read one page of the Bible. When I got saved, I'd never even read one page. I read one day Ephesians chapter 5 and thought I was a scholar. I went and preached to everybody on Ephesians chapter 5. I didn't talk about anything else because I didn't know nothing else. But I talked about walking in light, walking in love, and walking in wisdom. That's all I talk about. And so when I got saved, I, I become one of those religious fruitcakes. I was confronting people but not in love. My favorite word was hell. My favorite, I love to talk about hell. It, matter of fact, now I think about it, it's my favorite word before I got saved. But it was in a different way after I got saved. I remember, you, you know, if you were a lady and you said, how's my hair look? I'd say, well, it ain't going to look good in hell. Do you know Jesus? Uh-huh. Do you? And I would literally do that. I'd go up to people and I'd just witness, but I'd say, I'd say, do you want to know Jesus? And they'd say, well, brother, I'd say, go to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to burn in hell. Do you want to know? Everybody was going to hell. I'd chase people. I, my wife, Chase, she was the same way. She chased her mama up the hall one time yelling, do you want to burn in hell? Her mama's going, Jessica, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. My wife's crying, mama, you're going to burn in hell? A worm's going to crawl through your body and the worm won't die. And there's going to be darkness. And we would go into detail. You know how many people I won to the Lord? None. None. I had a friend one time. I was witnessing to him. He's actually in prison now. He's got 16 years for manufacturing meth. And, uh, but by the way, i got to give you a praise report there. After all these years of witnessing to him, the other day he sent me a letter. He gave his life to Christ. Asked me for a Bible. Give God a hand clap. I sent him a Bible. Wrote me back the other day and said he's enrolled himself in Bible school. I'm going to go visit him really soon. But I was witnessing to Stephen one time, and we were young, and I just got saved. I was on fire for God. He kept saying, Josh, i got my whole life to live. I'm young. I got, and I was trying to explain to him, you don't know if you can go. You may go tomorrow. He's telling me, I'm not going to go tomorrow. So I went in the back room, got a pistol, unloaded it, brought it back out, and sticked it right under his chin. I said, brother, I could blow your brains out right now. I said, you need to know Jesus. He said, I'll get saved. I'll do anything you want me to. Now, it didn't stick, and I found out that's not the way to do it. I'm not proud of that. I'm embarrassed of that. I tell you that so you can laugh at me and say, he's got issues and he's got problems. I'm not talking about being confrontational in that manner, but, but I am talking about being confrontational with love. You know, i got a friend. He's on the power team, and my friend Russ Clear, he was a hell's angel that got saved. He's a good buddy of mine. He got saved in San Quentin Prison. And when Russ goes around and preaches, he tells a story about one of his best friends named Bill. If you ever watch Benny Hinn, doesn't matter to me whether you like Benny Hinn or not, I don't care. But if you ever look at their head of security, that's Bill. He's the big old guy that's the head of their security now. But Bill used to be on the power team. It's this group that comes around and preaches the gospel and breaks bricks and bends still. And, and Bill had a little girl. She's one of the most beautiful little girls you've ever seen, I was told. She had blonde, curly hair, big blue eyes. And from the time, I mean, just when she could get her sentences out well, her and her daddy worked out a little thing, a little strategy to win people to the Lord, to be a witness unto Him. And they would go, and when they were in cities or elevators, wherever they were, when they got in a crowd of people, she would look up, she'd, he'd look up at his daughter because he'd carry on her shoulders everywhere that he went. Many people said they'd never seen a father and a daughter so close. And he'd look up and he'd say, hey, baby. And she'd look down and she'd say, Daddy, do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? And he'd look up and say, I don't know, honey. Do you want to tell him or do you want me to tell him? She'd look down and say, Daddy, do you want me to tell him or do you want to tell him? And, and people would always do what anybody would do. Tell me what? And then that little girl 
with those big blue eyes, would look over at him. I'm talking about four or five years old now. She'd look over at him and she'd say that Jesus loves you and that he died for you. And it'd melt people's heart and they'd have an opportunity to share the gospel. She got leukemia, a rare kind. It came and it took her fast. She died. In the hospital room, Bill asked the nurse, he said, can I go down and see my little girl for one last time? He went down into the mortuary there of the hospital down in the basement, pulled the sheet back, and the nurse just broke. The nurse started bawling. Bill was crying too, and Bill looked at his little girl. He pulled the sheet up to her face and right at her chin, and he looked at her and he said, Honey, do you want to tell her or do you want me to tell her? And he said, Okay, baby, I'll tell her. And he pulled the sheet over her head, and the nurse, of course, said, Tell me what? And he said that Jesus loves you and that he died for you. And that nurse gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend that told me this story and this good friends with Bill, he got shot three times in the head. He'll be talking in mid-sentence. His name's Russ. He's rough as a corn cob. He'll be talking in mid-sentence and he forgets what he's talking about. And you have to remind him. And then he goes, oh, okay. And he starts talking again. 300 pounds, big old guy, bench press a house. And here's what I want to share with you. If Russ can share the gospel, if that five-year-old girl with leukemia could share the gospel, and friend, I can't even write a letter to this day. Your pastor this week told me how to send an email. I didn't know how. He's helped me all week, educating me. I can't spell. I was a while ago typing this message out. Spell check can't even pick up what I'm trying to say. That's a true story. Anybody else got that problem? Oh, I'm the only one. Well, I was just kidding then. No, not really. It really can't pick it up. I can't spell. God's dealt with me to write a book over the past week. I said, Lord, how in the world am I going to write a book? Am I going to write it in tongues? I mean, what am I going to do? Nobody will be able to read it. How am I going to write a book? And God dealt with me, you just speak into a tape recorder, and, and then I'm going to give you somebody that's going to help you write it. And I actually had a member of your church came to me last night at the bridge and said, hey, God just dealt with me tonight when you were talking and told me I'm supposed to help you write that book. She said, I'm going to school for journalism. So if I'm just going to mail her the tapes, and she said she's going to help. But if I can witness and if I can share, and if you can witness and you can share, friend, we can all do it. If I can do it and that little girl can do it, you can do it. And you can do it anywhere. I'm in Walmart the other day, and, and I'm walking by. And see, the Holy Spirit's the key to let you to know which style you need to be operating in and what manner you need to be a witness at that point. And I'm walking by this guy, and the Holy Spirit said, tell him I love him. Tell him God loves him. I said, Lord, please, no. I said, he's going to think I'm a fruitcake, God. And then an idea hit me. I said, Lord, my wife's name's Jessica. I said, Lord, let Jessica tell him. I said, I'll go tell her, Lord, she needs her faith stretched. I'm doing all kinds of things for you, Jesus. She's timid, and this would help her, Lord. And so I was going to go tell Jessica, and the Lord wouldn't let me. So I had to walk over to this guy, and I said, hey, man. I said, i got to tell you something. He said, yeah. I said, um, God, God told me to tell you he loves you. He said, who? I said, God. God told me to. He said, who are you saying loves me? I said, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, told me to tell you he loves you. I didn't want to. I said, Lord, I don't want to tell him that. And he told me to tell you, and I thought you were going to think I'm crazy. And as I'm talking and just talking to this guy, because I may be bowed behind the pulpit, but, friend, my hands get sweaty when i got to witness to somebody. I get knots in my stomach. Anybody else do that? I mean, it's just a huge deal for me. But that doesn't take away the point that God called me to be a witness and said, and you shall receive power. The Greek word is dunamos. We get our word dynamite from. Dynamite, miraculous power. 
And so when we begin to witness, we just got to trust that the Holy Spirit will empower us to do the job. Doesn't mean you won't have butterflies. Doesn't mean your hands won't get sweaty. Doesn't mean that you won't be nervous and your voice won't be cracking because mine does to this day. It's easy for me to preach to you. It's hard for me to share in Walmart, but I do it because he's called me to be a witness unto him. And that guy began to share me. He's crying, and he said, I knew the Lord when I was a kid, and I've gotten away, and I've done things, and I didn't know if God could forgive me. And I've wanted to come back to God, but I thought, how can God forgive me? And I began to share all the things that I had done and how God had forgiven me. And he looked at me and said, well, if he forgave you, I'm sure now he'll forgive me. God will forgive me. That guy recommitted his life to the Lord right there. Right there. We were in a spaghetti factory, a restaurant in Nashville one time. I'm only going to give you one more. I've got hundreds and hundreds of stories like this. We were eating, and the waitress came over, and we were blessing our meal. And she walked over, and she said, you don't see people do that much anymore. And right then, the Lord said, Josh, I've just opened the door for you. Speak to her. you got to watch for those divine moments. you got to watch for those heroes. Three Greek words for time in the Bible. Three Greek. Okay? Chronos, chronological time. Kahiros, a divine moment, a visitation, a door opened. And plurumos, which means the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4. This was a Kahiros moment. This was a, a time God had opened, and I knew it was. And so, and so I looked at everybody's table. I said, which one of y'all want to witness to her? And everybody's like, I ain't witnessing to her. I ain't. I'm coming down here to eat me some spaghetti. So she walked back over, and I said, do you know God loves you? And, and she said, what? I said, God loves you. I said, can I take 30 seconds to tell you my story? Get your story down to about a minute. And I said 30, but I'm a preacher. It always takes me double what I say it's going to take me. Amen. And so get your story down where you can share it quickly in about a minute. And I shared my story with her, and I said, God, save me. She just walked away, and I thought she was mad. I thought, Lord, I offended her. I thought I heard you. She came back and brought her food, and she broke down and started bawling. She said, I'm a stripper. I was in Las Vegas. I've prostituted my body out. You want to tell me God will forgive me? She said, I'm living on the street. I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I've got to go to the homeless shelter. And you're telling me God's going to forgive me? Will he forgive me now because I've given my body away for money? I said, yes. I told her about a, a lady in the Bible who had given her body away for money and how the Lord had forgiven her. And how she became a mighty woman of God. She was crying, and right there I led her to Christ. She said the sinner's prayer right there. Lord laid on our heart, and we took up an offering for her at her table. We emptied our pockets. We had enough money to go and get her. She, when we gave her the money, she broke, and she said, I had a place to stay, but I had to come up with this for the week. Y'all have given me the mount and just a little bit more. <laughs> Confrontational witnessing. And, friend, just because I pastor a church of, of 850 people on Sunday morning, just because I preached 850 on Sunday morning doesn't excuse me from witnessing to the waitress and the cashier and my neighbors and my family members that need brawls that go around without shirts. It doesn't excuse me from witness to any of them, and it, you're not excused either. And you and I can't be like the people in Queens, New York, back in 64 that was watching the enemy attack people and do nothing about it. We've been called to be a witness and to take the stand. Not only do we do it through confrontation, but we do it through service. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But in deed and in truth. We need to learn how to not just love people through our words, but to love them through our actions. John Maxwell said this. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. The Bible says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
You know, I got a revelation on that verse one day at a gas station. This guy walked up, and he, he asked me for 30 bucks, and he had to go see his mom. He was coming from Kentucky, driving to Memphis. His mom was dying. He said, for $30, and he went in and said, I'll give you all my equipment. He was a concrete guy. He was going to give me his new red wing boots, and they weren't my size, but he was going to give me them and give me all the floats and all this stuff that I didn't even know what it was, levels, and $30, because a guy up the road would change his flat tire for $30 and put a good used tire on it. I pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to him. And I don't tell you this to brag, but just to show you the scripture. I gave him $100. This guy jumped back. He was offended. He got mad. He was a, he was a rough-looking cuss, too. He looked like he could have whipped me. It wouldn't take much to whip me, but he definitely could have whipped me. And he jumped back, and he got mad, and he said, I don't know what you're thinking about, man. I ain't messing with you. My mother's about to die. I said, man, I ain't messing with you. He said, I asked for 30. I said, yeah, but God gave me his son, and if God can give me his best, surely I can give $100 to you. And this guy, this guy didn't know what to think about that, and he went over to get his stuff out of his car. I said, no, man, you're missing. I don't, I don't want none of your work. You're going to need that stuff to go to work. I said, brother, I just wanted to tell you God loves you, and he gave Jesus to me, and surely I can give a little $100 bill to you. This guy grabbed me up, bear hugged me, started picking me up and, and thanking me, and, and then all of a sudden he dropped me, looked up, and started thanking God. And I realized something. Let your light so shine before men. What is the light? Is it a spiritual aura? Is it an odor? Some of us got an odor, but that ain't anything to do with God. Amen? Is it an aura? Is it an odor? No, he said... Let your light shine. What's your light? That they may see. Now, what they see is the light. And what is the light? What is what they see? What they see is good works. See, you were created unto Christ Jesus unto good works. God, you were saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But in verse 10, but when you were saved, then you were created at the point of salvation unto good works. You're not saved by good works, but somebody once said you're saved for them. And so my good deeds, my actions to that guy caused him to look up to heaven and glorify God. He didn't give his life to Christ, but he did promise me he'd go home and read one of the Gospels in the New Testament. Friend, there's all kinds of ways you can do this. I've got a friend that I hadn't seen in years. He was hooked on dope. You can find out I come from that kind of past, so a lot of our guys do. He came in church once. I'd seen him one Sunday. Then he came back the next day. He went to the altar and got saved. And his wife's up there crying, and his kids are crying because they were going to be taken away. And his whole family got restored. And his whole family's back together today. And he got saved. And I went up and I said, Timmy, how'd you come to church, man? He said, you see that tall guy over there? I said, yeah, Robin. He said, yeah, he's just a member of our church. <coughs> he said, yeah. He said, ma'am, one day he came over and just mowed my yard. He's my neighbor. He said, I told my wife, I ain't paying him nothing. Did you tell him to mow that yard? I didn't tell him to mow that yard. I, I ain't paying him. He said, two weeks later, he mowed my yard again. He said, I got so mad. He said, I just knew he was going to bill me. So I went over there and I said, hey, look, that's my yard. Keep your mower on your lawn. I ain't paying you nothing. And Robin looked at him and said, man, I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to show you God's love. He said, what? He said, I wanted to show you God's love in a practical way. And I try to share Christ with everybody, but I have a hard time speaking. I get so nervous and, and I stumble over my words. And I've been praying, how could I just show you that God loved you the way God showed me he loved me? And God just showed me that I could start mowing your yard. And he said, brother, by the way, would you like to come to church with me Sunday? And I said, Timmy, you came to church because him mowing your yard touched your heart and you had to come. And he said, no. I said, no, why'd you come? He said, I was afraid if I didn't come, he'd stop mowing my yard. <laughs> Acts of sinus. Today, y'all have got a ministry fair. 
I'm going real long on these two, but I feel led to hit them. Today, y'all, y'all have got a ministry fair back there. And can I tell you that you can be a witness unto the Lord Jesus Christ by signing up? You know, I, and I don't say this to, to brag or anything because I'm humbled. I mean, it's amazing to me God uses me. Just get around me a little bit. You'll be amazed too. Golly, God, amazed you use him. But do you know we have about 75 to 80% of our church that serves in ministry? About, they say 20% will serve and 80% won't. We have 80% to serve and 20% won't. And it's only because they're new and they're going to be serving for too long. Because we have like this theme. God didn't call you to be a pew potato. God didn't call you to do nothing. God called you to be a witness. He saved you. He, he held his hands out and let them nail them to a cross for you. So you can get your hands and open a door. Or wave somebody into the parking lot. Or change a diaper in the nursery. If Christ could have nails put through them, then you can put a diaper in them. We can do it. We can put a mic in them. We can, we can put a table in them and move tables and be a part of a helps team. You say, oh, Josh, but I want to go out and I want to win tons of people to the Lord. Don't ever underestimate the power of just serving one. Do, do you know Billy Graham? Right? He got saved in North Carolina. I knew this was God's country. Your barbecue, too. Y'all got the best barbecue I've ever ate in my life. I always said, I'm from Tennessee, I've always said Memphis, best barbecue, till I came right here in North Carolina. I went down to McCall's. I think if Jesus came back, he'd eat at McCall's. <laughs> I went to ask him, good food, man. But Billy Graham in North Carolina, years ago, an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham came. And that night, only a few people came to the revival, and they pumped it up. These four businessmen had invited Mordecai Ham in, and they had a tent revival in North Carolina. They pumped it up all week for the last night, and it was a packed out. And a young, skinny, lanky boy with his friend walked in. And when that young boy walked in, he couldn't find a seat, so he turned around to leave. He got outside of the tent, and an usher ran over and grabbed him and said, Oh, fellas, where are you going? And they said, Well, we couldn't find a seat, and we'll just go. He said, No, 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 I'll find you a seat. And he took him in and looked everywhere, and he finally made some people in the choir loft scoot over. And he found Billy Graham and his friend a seat. Now, he didn't know who this young, skinny little boy was. But that night, that young skinny boy heard the preacher. He responded and gave his life to Christ. And that young skinny boy has preached over 52 million people in over 195 countries. He was the greatest evangelist of the, of the 20th century and perhaps for maybe centuries to come. The greatest evangelist in our generation, in my time, in your time, that the world's ever seen. And he wasn't just the fruit of an evangelist. He was the fruit of an usher. If that usher wouldn't have been a witness through his service, Billy Graham that night would have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Fran, that usher, Billy Graham's not just a fruit of that usher, over 52 million people that's been preached to. And all the salvations that's taken place is a fruit of that usher. You may know how many seeds are in an apple, but you never know how many apples are in a seed. And when you share the gospel, you're planting seed. It's the incorruptible word of God. You are a seed sower, and you never know how many apples are in a seed. You win one, but how many does that one win? And how many do they win? And an usher took a part in that ministry that Billy Graham has today. We got a girl at our church, Amanda Burlam. And Amanda Burlam is a great woman of God. She, she's an awesome, she's a part of our media team. But let me tell you how she came to the Lord. She had been through two, two or I think, I think two marriages, two bad marriages. And she had always got hooked up with the wrong guy that treated her wrong. And she had just really been done wrong by men. She pulled up to our church, and it was pouring down rain. And she said, I'm just going to go. I'm not going to get out. What was I thinking? 
And, and she, she had her door open to her car, and there was a parking attendant. And he said, we don't want you to get wet. And he had an umbrella. And she got out of the car, and that parking attendant held that umbrella over her head all the way to the front door. And she said she could barely hold back the tears all the way up. She said, Josh, he was getting soaked and wet, and he was holding it over my head. And she said, then we got to the door, and she said, when we got to the door, there was another man at the door, a greeter, a door greeter, and he opened the door and said, we don't want you to get wet, and we're glad you're here. She said, as I walked into the foyer, I said, this is my church. She didn't know what we preached. She had never met the preacher, never heard the worship, didn't even see the sanctuary, and she said, this is my church. That day she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She was not the fruit of Josh Hanna's ministry. She was the fruit of a parking attendant because he touched her heart because he served her in that manner. Friend, I want to encourage you today, not because it helps me. I'm gone back to Tennessee tomorrow, but because I want to help you get involved in what God's doing. Listen, you say, well, you're a preacher, and you preach in Pakistan and India and Sudan, and you preach all around the world, and you got this church in Waverly. And listen, I started out driving a church van, man, and those kids were my kids. Come Christmas around, if, they, if their parents couldn't afford Christmas, I worked overtime to go buy them Christmas. I took four of those kids to the mall one time. They'd never been to the mall a day in their life. They had never seen an escalator. They were afraid of it. I had to put them on an escalator for the first time. Listen, I'm in a small town with a bunch of poor folk. I put these kids on the escalator. All I could give them was 50 bucks a piece. They thought I gave them a million dollars. Do you know those kids today, when they see me out, run to me? Do you know those kids today, all except one, are in our church? Do you know, come to find out two of those kids were being sexually abused and physically abused by their father? And their father got caught and went to prison, and he died in prison. With those two kids, I have an impact in their life today because that was my bus route. That was my bus, and those were my kids. And I may only picked up eight of them, but I did it every Sunday, and I did it every Wednesday. And any special event we had, I didn't leave the, they weren't bus kids, they were my kids. They were the family of God. And if we had a special event and we had a cookout, I went and picked up those kids. That's how I got started in the ministry. And you can do something for the Lord. You can make a difference. And see, some of you may go, well, if I could do something great. But he was faithful in a small, he was faithful in a few things to be made ruler over many. Sometimes you got to start at a door and God moves you up. But you got to start somewhere. And I would even encourage you this. Some people say, well, Josh, I don't know how to get involved in ministry. Just try it something, man. If you try the nursery and it doesn't fit you, then go and try opening a door. And if it doesn't fit you, go try and be part of an outreach team. But just find your niche and get involved. And do it with all your heart and do it in the name of Jesus and you'll win souls unto the Lord. I think so many times the reason people don't get involved is because they don't realize the fruit. They don't realize the impact. And I'm telling you, you just serve the Lord and this is a way you can be a witness unto Him. I've got one minute. Let me tell you the next two. I felt led to hit more on the next one. I'm closing. Y'all ever heard that before? Through prayer, Matthew 9 then he said, the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Listen, we need to learn how to talk to God about the lost before we talk to the lost about God. I ain't got time to tell you. We started praying every Saturday night for one hour. That year, we never went a weekend except one. And the one weekend we went without seeing people saved is because we didn't pray. Jim Cimbala, years ago in New York City, I met him. He laid his hands on me, and he prayed a prayer over me. And Jim Simbler at Brooklyn Tabernacle prayed a prayer of impartation and said, if you'll always keep prayer in your church, and if you'll always keep prayer at the forefront, and if you'll get your people to praying, 
You'll never have a service that people don't get saved. And we haven't. We have people saved every week. Pray. George Mueller was a man. Prayed for all his friends. Wrote down a list of them. Prayed for all his friends. All of them, every time they get saved, he'd mark them off. All of them but one was saved. At his funeral, that man came up and kneeled there in the casket and got saved. A friend went up and opened his Bible and marked the last name off. My daddy saved. That I told you beat me. He saved. My granddaddy saved. My grandmother, my mom got saved for she went to heaven. Listen, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. And lastly, sneaky. Come on up, Pastor. Be sneaky about it if you have to. And what I mean, harmless as dove, wise as serpents. Listen, just talk about how good God is. Just talk. The Bible says taste and see the Lord's good. Give, some, give people a taste of God. You don't have to preach at them, condemn them, be self-righteous. Just talk about what God's been doing in your life everywhere you go. Everywhere you say God's good and talk about some of the things he's done for you. And that's a witness to other people. God bless you. Thank you for letting me speak. Thank you, Josh.